0: Tommy, for uh, stepping us back into the world of the Colossians. I feel, I feel an affinity for those folks as we read about them, about who they were and what their situation was living in this, in this small city. All kinds of people are part of this church, Jews and Gentiles. None of them had actually seen Paul or heard from Paul. They learned the gospel from somebody else who had been with Paul and then came home and shared it with them. And another reason I have an affinity for them and I think we have, have a lot in common with them is because they were all different kinds of people, they brought what they knew into this church, into this new thing they're trying to create, this following of Jesus. And by bringing what they knew they were causing some problems. One of the things that I get to do here that I love to do, I love to do premarital counseling, and it's always fascinating to me as I sit down with these two people, who love each other, who are committed to make a new family and we go through communication styles and conflict resolution and money and family and it's always so interesting to see each of them bringing what they know as normal and the right way to do it, right, to this conversation about what their family's gonna look like and there have been times that there is a dawning realization that they are on really different pages about what they consider to be normal or the right way to do things, whether it's from a healthy perspective or perhaps a slightly dysfunctional one. But we all bring who we are, what we know, to wherever we are. And that's what ha- what's happening with this church in Colossians. They're bringing who they know, who they are, what they know, to this new entity. And so Paul writes them a letter to address some of that, to talk about some of the things that uh, maybe they have a little, a little bit wrong. And he uses some incredibly vibrant language to remind them who Christ is, who they are, and what a life in Christ looks like. Tommy read From chapter 1, 19 through 20. And that's the end of a a piece, of a beautiful piece that Paul has written where he says Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. And as Tommy read, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It's a reminder for us today, too, who Christ is, the centrality of Jesus, the primary place that that Christ holds, but sometimes we have to be reminded just as they had to be reminded. He tells them in that that letter as well that they have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. So what does it mean to live in the kingdom of his son? That's to live in the place where heaven meets earth, the kingdom of God we live in our reality, our dimension of reality. And when you become a follower of Christ, you step into God's reality and his reality covers our reality. And this space is the kingdom of God and that's where we live. That's where we are called to be, living in two very distinct realities and living in the tension of two very distinct realities. We're part of the making right of things, of redemption and restoration. Paul tells us we are in Christ. We are in Christ. Our life is hidden in Christ I love the language he uses, the way he expresses all of this. And I think sometimes, I think sometimes when when we are trying to explain and express this transcendence, that we are in two different realities as believers in Christ, language, we use language that maybe doesn't serve us well, that, that can make it smaller than it really is. When we're trying to describe what it is like to be a follower of Christ, to live in these two different dimensions at the same time. And as I was thinking about this, I, I thought of the phrase that I th- we've probably all used and sincerely and well-meaning, but, but we'll say we, we have Jesus in our heart. We've asked Jesus into our heart. And that just sounds like we've shrunk it down and put it into a little place in our life You are in Christ, He is not just a little something in part of your life. Paul is telling us you are in, you are hidden in Christ, your life is hidden in Christ. And then He says, Just as you've received Christ, your Lord, continue to live in Him, being rooted and built up in Him and established just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. I love the vibrancy of that. Continue to live your lives. Some of your um, Bibles may say walk in him. Walk in him, rooted and built up. I love the dichotomy of that, the walk and rooted at the same time. But live your lives in him, rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Be careful that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. And The phrase that really struck me as I was reading this and thinking about what to talk to you about was the, be careful. Be careful that no one takes you captive. A lot of the, the verbiage Paul uses, the language he uses, is, is based in military action because the people who lived in Colossae were really familiar with being under somebody else's rule. Rome ruled everything. They were familiar with the military might of Rome and what that meant. And so a lot of this language reflects something that they'd be very familiar with. In fact, at the end of the passage, he says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Well, they would have been very well in the Roman world when a German, German, when a general triumphed over another city-state, another people, he would have a triumph back in Rome. He would have a parade, a huge parade, and he would have all of the booty that he had captured from the defeated city-state or the defeated people group, as well as the leader, the king of, of that group. And in this huge parade, all the gold, everything they had looted would be carried down the streets in front of the people of Rome. And that defeated king would be marched down the street to be jeered at and mocked before probably he was executed. So the triumph had incredible meaning to these people who understood Roman rule. That humiliation of a triumph meant something. And Paul is saying to them, those powers of the world have been defeated. Christ triumphed over them. That had a a meaning to them that sank deep into their imaginations. It gave them more sense of who they were, sense of their place. But he says, be careful that no one takes you captive. It's another military reference. It implies booty, something that belongs somewhere else. When those Roman generals would march through the streets of Rome with all the stuff they had gathered, that stuff belonged somewhere else. And he's saying, don't you be like that stuff that gets carted through the streets of Rome. Be careful that you're not taken captive by philosophy. You all have a philosophy. You all, each one of you has a theology. Theology is your understanding of God. And you have one. Whether you've thought about it very much or not, you have a theology. Whether it's grounded in scripture or not, you have a theology. You have some way you think about God. You also have philosophy you have some way that you understand the world, that you understand what's real, what's true. And in our hearts, the best of that is that our philosophy is grounded in our theology. But that may not be the case. You may not have really even thought about it. It may be that your theology, your understanding of God is something Different and separate and apart from how you understand the world. Be careful, Paul says. Be careful that you're not taken captive by philosophy that very specifically wrongly represents Christ or is based on human tradition and he calls that empty deceit, based on human tradition based on the elements of the world, rather than on Christ. And then he very specifically addresses some of the the wrong philosophies that have infiltrated their church. And the primary one he talks about here is circumcision. The Jews in the church, bringing what they knew and what they believed to be the correct way to do things, said to the Gentiles, you have to be circumcised. And the Gentiles who thought that was crazy didn't want to do it. I think the thing that that I find so beautiful as Paul is talking about this, circumcision is not the mark of the covenant anymore. It's not the mark of our promise relationship with God. Paul tells us baptism is. And where circumcision was a physical act and a physical mark that could only be carried by a Jewish man. Baptism is a physical act that doesn't matter if you're male or female, Jew or Gentile. That physical embodiment of the covenant of the promise turns upside down what they thought was the right way to do things. Be careful, he said, that you're not taken captive. And what I've been thinking about for a while now is how do we do that? It's very clear direction, but how do we be careful? The Sunday that this passage was part of the liturgy, and it's been several weeks now, the other passage in the New Testament in the Gospels was from Luke, and we're going to go there now because I think this passage in Luke helps us understand how to be careful. He was praying in a certain place and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Luke's version is a little different from Matthew's, isn't it? But these words, I believe, will help us be careful. He goes on after he gives them this model prayer and tells some stories, uses some analogy for them. And he says, Suppose one of your friends comes to you in the middle of the night and he needs three loaves of bread because somebody's shown up at his doorstep. And you say, I don't have anything to give to you. Don't bother me. The door's locked. My children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, listen up. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In your asking and your seeking and your knocking, the promise is you will be given the Holy Spirit. And now let's go back up to the prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. What I'm going to propose to you and offer to you are some questions. I love questions. If we've had a conversation, or if you've come to me for spiritual direction, you know I love questions. But I think these questions will help prepare us to be careful. Father, hallowed be your name. And the question I have for you, the question I offer you is how do you attend to God? How do you attend to God? Not what do you do for him. Not how do you behave toward other people. How do you pay attention to God? And that's the question I offer. And I don't have any answers for you. I've got all questions with this, no answers. Because what... Christ has promised is as you ask and seek and knock, the Holy Spirit is available to you. And it's the Holy Spirit in you who will help you answer these questions. If you will will sit and ask them with integrity. Your kingdom come. And my question to you is, how is Christ being formed in you? We pray for the kingdom of God to come to fix all the stuff out there. The kingdom of God is the place where his rule and his reign overlap earthly reality, and that is in you. And so when we pray for the kingdom to come, it is how is Christ being formed in me? What practices do you habitually perform to be in a place for Christ to be formed in you? You know what those are. Reading your scripture, prayer, service, fasting. But the question is to be careful not to be taken in by empty philosophy. How is Christ being formed in you. You are the kingdom come. What does that look like in your life? Give us each our daily bread. It's not just about bread. How do you live in the now? How do you live in the present moment, breathing this gift of life that God has given you right this second? How do you not live in the regrets and the pain or the achievements of the past? How how well do you not live in the worries, the anxieties, the expectations of the future? How do you live in this moment that you have been given How do you live in the present moment? What expectations do you have? What expectations do you have of God that either have not been met or that you're looking forward to? Can you sit in this moment with open hands and release that and be in this moment? This is all you are, it's all you have. And, Can I say to you, the time you spend in social media is time you're spending in the past. And the crazy thing is, it's not even your past. It's somebody else's. How well do you live in the present moment? And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We can forgive because we have been forgiven. And so my question is, of what have you been forgiven? Think back. What has Christ forgiven you? Where have you experienced God's forgiveness? How have you experienced his forgiveness? And how do you forgive Who do you need to forgive? Where are you holding a grudge? Where are are you bitter? What does your body say? Sounds like an odd question, doesn't it? I was in a social event a few weeks ago, having a great time, having just a wonderful time, and looked up to see someone walk in who had hurt someone very close to me very deeply. And that person walked in the door, somebody I haven't thought of in a couple of years or so, but that person walked in the door, and I was so aware that this happened. My spine got straight, and my whole back tensed, and my jaw locked up, my teeth were gritting, If you'd asked me before that moment if I had any issues with the forgiveness, I would have said no, but my body told me otherwise. So who do you need to forgive? What does your body say? Where's your neck tense around somebody? Where does your stomach stomach clench at the thought of someone? Clearly, I've got some work to do. And what do you need to confess? Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And do not bring us into temptation. And my question for you is what does your heart really long for? What's the thing you think that if, oh, I just have this, then it's all gonna be okay? What does your heart really long for? And the thing is, what first comes to mind is probably not really it. There's something underneath that and maybe something even underneath that. What does your heart really long for? When I was doing devotion this morning, I opened the page to today's date, and this is what I read. Prayer, a single grain of sand, grit within my shell that promises a pearl. It is a laborer within my secret world who must toil among my memories, rummage among my forgotten things, traffic among my ghosts, among the detritus and wreckage of dreams, who must frequent the place where anger keeps its accounts and where the prisoners of my unforgiveness lay, those with no one to speak for them, to loose them from the unkindness of their bonds. Prayer is an agent, a broker in this private inner view between God and me. An appointed ambassador who does his bidding, makes the odd rounds, undoes the hidden knot and confesses me at last. I hope that this model prayer and these questions associated with it, I hope it becomes sort of like baby shark in your brain, that every time you see the words of the Lord's Prayer, these questions come to mind, that that it's a trigger. You know, you hear the first two beats of that song and you know what's coming. I hope when you hear our Father, this is what comes up. That this is a place that you can assume a posture before God that will enable you to be careful so that you are not taken captive by things other than Christ by these empty ways of understanding the world. My prayer for you is that your philosophy is based on your theology. And that by sitting with these questions, your understanding of who God is becomes true. And today is a day where we come to the table together for corporate communion. And so, Jeremy, if you would, would you put the prayer back up there? And I would, I would offer you this time, as our ushers are getting ready to distribute communion, I would offer you this time to take these questions. Maybe one of them rang really true to you today. That as you prepare your hearts to receive communion that it's in a place of asking and seeking and knocking knowing the holy spirit will work through this with you and it is in his loving guidance that you'll see your own heart and that you'll be equipped to be careful I want to leave you with the last phrase of a poem written by Peter Abelard in the early 1100s and he wrote low before him with our praises we fall of whom and in whom and through whom are all of whom the father and in whom the son and through whom the spirit with them everyone you are of god in christ living through the power of the holy spirit that's what it looks like to be in the kingdom of god because the kingdom of god is where his reality overlaps ours and that's where you stand